We're right in the middle of a series, and I'll tell you what I am consumed with right now. I am consumed with our church, our church family, learning the Bible. I'm consumed with that. I want us to learn the Bible, and and I talk about this all the time, uh, and and I want to say it again. By the way, uh, if you're taking notes, you can title your notes, I Love You More. I love you more. And you got to say it with like you more. Okay. Let's say that together. I love you. Yeah. You kind of punch that you. I love you more. Um, so, uh, but I, I say it all the time that without faith, God cannot do any miracles in your life. He can't do it. You can have this much faith. You can have mustard seed faith. Has anyone here actually held a mustard seed in their, in their hand? Raise your hand. Come on. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Isn't it astounding how small that thing is? I've looked at it before and go, oh, so that's what he's talking about. And I'm like, that's how much faith I have in several seasons of my life. But if that's all the faith you have, that's all the faith he needs. Uh, but you got to have faith. you got to have faith. And, and if you don't have faith, he can't move in your life. Uh, he went back to uh, the town he was born in. After Jesus uh, was in the middle of his ministry doing miracles, he went back to the town that he was born in. And uh, he could do no miracles there uh, because they just didn't believe. So the more faith we have, the more miracles God will do in our life. And uh, I just want to say that your faith increases as you hear the word of God. So you can just sit there, listen to me, and your faith will go up. You don't have to do anything. You just sit there and look cool. That's it. Sit there, look cool, and listen to me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. All right, so we're going to talk about it, and uh, we're going to be talking about chapter 3 in 1 John. So we're, we're unpacking 1 John on Wednesday nights, and then on Sundays, we're unpacking all of 1 Corinthians. Um, and so if you're a guest here and you're kind of wondering what this church is all about, we're a church that loves the Bible because it is the inspired words of God, and it is the only book the only one in all of Barnes & Noble that is living and active. It actually comes alive inside of you. And so uh, I'm really excited about unpacking it. Um, I've got three kids. Only two of them can talk. Uh, the other one um, screams a lot. She's 17 months old. Um, and uh, they have an awesome uncle. Um, hey, Jonathan, just kind of wave at everybody. That's their, my kid's uncle. Go ahead and wait. He's a good-looking guy. Stand up, Jonathan, real quick. My kids have the best uncle in the world. Um, and so uh, he brings them toys and stuff like that. Um, but only two of them can talk. And uh, whenever we say, I love you, they say, no, I love you more. And then I say back, no, I love you more. And we go back and forth like that. And uh, sometimes I'll try to get tricky and say, no, I love you most. And then they'll say, I love you more than most. I'm like, geez, this can go on and on. And uh, I want to unpack this thought that the more you love God, the more God reveals himself to you, the stronger that connection becomes. It actually moves 
the needle in the category of your life that you need him to move in. It's all, uh, if you can think about love and affection like the fuel that moves the car. Um, Now, how do you stir up love? It's a very difficult thing to do. It's hard to stir up love. Um, But when you get into uh, a quiet place and you just talk to them and you tell them what's on your mind and you tell them that you love them, what you'll find is that your emotions and your capacity to love begins to increase as you pursue him. Uh, it's very uh, interesting when, when Allie had Presley, uh, our oldest, she was ten year, uh, she's 10 years old now, when she was born, I fell in love with that little girl. Uh, two years later, Allie found out she was pregnant again. And I was nervous about the second one because I thought, how in the world am I ever going to love the second one like I love the first one? And I was concerned for nine months. I'm like, the second one's getting the shaft. <laughs> this is going to be like, there's no way. You know, I love Presley so much. And then I found out it was a boy and I'm like, those things are things. <laughs> those things are dirty, snotty, and they poop. And, and, and so, like, there's no way I'm going to love this boy as much as I love this girl. There's just no way. And um, because I'm, I'm loving Presley with all the capacity that I have. And then this baby comes into the world. And my capacity to love, which was already full, actually expanded. And now I had more love that I didn't have before. So before Luke was born, I had this much love. And I was using it all. After Luke was born, now I have this much love. So I didn't have to split my love between the two of them. I actually had more love. And so when we pursue God, our capacity to love him actually gets bigger. And as it gets bigger, the needle moves. It's like what I was talking with somebody today and they asked me about this particular problem that I had last year. And I actually forgot that I had that problem. Have you ever done that? You forgot you had that problem? Well, it moves. It, it, the, the problems, the worries, the concerns, it, it begins to move. And, and what I've learned is either God changes the problem altogether or he changes you for the problem. Have you noticed that? Uh, There's some problems that I have that I've had for years. And I'm like, what's up? Well, what I've noticed is, is that God has changed me for the problem. And so now I'm older. uh, Hopefully I'm a little wiser. But he either changes the situation or he changes you for the situation. But either way, as we draw close to God, our capacity to love, love changes everything everything. And so the key is, is to figure out how can our capacity of love expand. Um, I I have a friend of mine, his name is David Childress. Does anyone here, uh, you grew up with a really good looking friend? 
And if you didn't like him, you would hate him. Do you know what I'm talking about? Put your hand down, John. We grew up together, and he's acting silly. Um, uh, <laughs> um, my, my friend David was so good looking. I would just stand around him and, and, and hope that the girls that he didn't like would default to me. Um, and I mean, he's just stupid good looking, like ridiculous good looking. And um, uh, it has nothing to do with the story. But anyway, uh, we went to a movie theater one time. I'll never forget this. Um, and we were in our early 20s and we were looking at the marquee and what, what movie we wanted to go to. And I said, hey, let's go see da 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 da. And it was a rated R movie. He goes, I don't watch rated R movies anymore. And I said, what? David, we, we've known each other since I was nine. And he said some words I never, ever forgot. He goes, it's just not worth it, man. It's not worth it. He goes, you know, I'm praying, I'm pursuing God. I feel close to him right now. And by the time I finish that movie, I'm, I, I know I'm not going to feel as close to him as I do right now. So it's just not worth it to me. And I was like, well, that's what I was thinking too. I just said, I I, I, it's not worth it to me either. Let's go see, uh, you know, <laughs> Roger Rabbit. I don't know what was up at that time, but um, it, it changes the game. Um, and so we're going to unpack this. In, in 1 John chapter 3, it's all about um, loving God more. It's all about loving eternity more than the present. It's all about loving purity the idea of purity more than the idea of sin. So let's unpack it. Verse number one, chapter three. Uh, John writes like this. See how very much our father loves us, for he calls us his children, which is just amazing to me. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us. You guys ready for a curveball? This is wild. He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. All right, that's a mind bender. What John is saying is you are not God's creation, even though he created you, you are his children and he loves you. And for those of us who love him back, when he comes back to the earth, he died on the cross, he rose again, he went to heaven. When he comes back, when you see your father, you're going to be transformed And the person he transforms you into is going to be a glorious person. Now, I've read commentaries on this. I've read parallel passages on this. And what's phenomenal is, is that if you go to, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read it when you get home. If you read that passage and this passage together, what you'll find is you will look like you but you'll be the best version of you you have ever imagined. Now, this is how I want to illustrate it. I read this book, and I highly recommend it, but I forgot the name of it. Um, The Final Quest, 
Write that down, the final quest. It is, it is such a fast read. There's like 140 pages and the margins are like this big. There's no pop-ups or anything, but the font is like font 16. He talks about having this, this experience where he's walking in heaven. Now, for some reason, because everything is just so full of scripture, I believe this guy. I know a lot of people have said things and it's hard to believe them, but this guy I believe. And he said he was walking in heaven and he saw this woman that he recognized from earth and she had passed away just years earlier. And he said, when I looked at her, it blew me away because on earth she was just average looking. But in heaven, even though I recognized her for who she was, she was by far more beautiful than anyone I had ever seen on earth. See, when you're in the presence of God, when you get into the presence of God, when you are standing on streets of gold, your eyes, your face will recognize you. But your smile, your hair, your teeth, your, the, the glory of God coming out of you, you just, it, it's, it's like, wow, we recognize you, but you're more beautiful than any human being we have ever seen on earth. Can you believe that? And so what, this is what John is saying. He's saying, hey, when the Lord shows up, and you see him and he sees you and eternity begins and it'll never ever stop when you're in that moment you're going to be by far by far the most glorious being you have ever imagined along with the angels and your father isn't that exciting so let's keep on reading but we do not know this is the second part of verse 2 but we do not know that we, uh, but we do know, I'm sorry, we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Let me see if I can illustrate what expectation means to me. This is. Not having an expectation. This is having an expectation. It's like you are looking forward. You are excited. This is not excited. This is excited. It's an eager expectation. This is what John is saying. He's saying, look... For those of us that love the Lord, we have this eager expectation that there's more somewhere, that there's more, that there's, that there's more. You know, I'm reading this study by C.S. Lewis, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's hard to even wrap your head around, but, but, but he says these words that something cannot crave something that doesn't exist. Yeah, just chew on that for like an hour. Something, you, you can't crave something that doesn't exist. Dogs crave water. Grass craves soil. If it craves something, it exists. 
And if what you crave does not exist, it must not be in this life. It must be in the next one. See, there's only a certain level of fulfillment that this world can offer. There's only a certain level that can really bring genuine happiness. You know, um, I remember when I was um, waiting tables for the first time, I remember thinking, if I can just make $10,000 a year, I will never complain again. Never come, if I just make $10,000 a year, I'll never complain again. And, and I just, I really, I was living at home with my dad and I was making $10,000 a year and I was rich. $10,000 that you don't have to have is awesome. It's awesome. I was living at home, 10 grand. I could burn the money and it meant nothing. Then I got a car. That changed the game. Now I needed 15000 and then I got a car that would bring me back to point A. Then I needed 20000 <laughs> And then you know the story. And I needed just 21. Oh, just 22. I remember thinking if I would just get married, I will never want again. <laughs> right? You know where this is going. You have this list. And some of those things have been checked off the list and then you realize, my goodness, this sense of fulfillment, this sense of, oh, it's, it, it's not here. It's, it's just not. It, it's, it's, it's not. And, but there's this eager expectation of this is not the final destination. And believers do not forget that. They don't forget that. They fight to hang on to that. Everyone, everyone here ever watch E.T. Um, entertainment, it's the entertainment show, entertainment television. I forgot what it is. Is that what it is? E.T. It's all about the stars, right? It's about stars. Enter- everyone's looking at me like I'm a moron. So I, I, I think that's the name of the show. Or it's a bunch of stars, right? Entertainment Tonight. Thank you. Entertainment Tonight. So one of the favorite shots that they like to do is they like to get in like an aerial view and show people's house. Like Britney Spears' house or um, uh, Paul McCartney's house or like Oprah Winfrey's house. And, and I look at their house and, and I'm like, I think about this all the time. That house is bigger than our whole church. Like Mike Tyson's house not his current house, he's kind of in a different situation right now, but um, his other, his old house, he had bowling alleys in his house. He had like 16 bathrooms. I I really want to make jokes, but (laughs) has anyone here done a tour of Elvis's house? Like, hello? His closet is the size of my whole house. And he had racks, like racks where you, and it moves moves around, like at, at, at the cleaners where they type in your name and it moves around. That's his house. It's like, are you serious? When I see this stuff and I'm in my right mind and I'm dialed in and I'm focused, I think to myself, this isn't, my final destination. This isn't the end game for me. 
There's a, an expectation. There's an excitement. There's, there's a, a, another place that God's preparing me for. There's another place that he's preparing you for. There, there's another place. There's another place. And um, uh, I want to read this. Um, uh, this guy named Brother Lawrence, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. He, he writes this. He goes, how happy we would be if we could find the treasure of which the gospel speaks. All else would be as nothing. What he's saying is, these people in the Bible that gave their life for Jesus Christ, they knew something that we didn't know. They saw, we see through a, a, a dim glass. We can barely see. We're, we're trying to look at space through a keyhole. That's right. But they saw more. If we could see, this is what he's saying, if we could see as much as they could see, if, if we had the relationship with Jesus that they have, everything in our life would just, everything else would just be pale in comparison. You know, when things of this world are stressing me out, you know what I say sometimes? God, I need to see more of you. I need, I need to see, I, I need to some way, listen to this, some way, somehow, I have got to believe in you more, experience you more. And, and I want to say this for every person here that is here tonight. To come on a Wednesday night... shows a degree of hunger that most people don't have. It is a degree of hunger that you have that most people don't have. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of people here. Uh, I'm sorry, there's a lot of people that can't come to church on Wednesday because they travel, they work, they commute. They're still working right now and it's 8 o'clock. To be fair. But there's a lot of people who could be here tonight. Right. But they just would rather not. Because they're tired. And nobody's judging anybody, right? Nobody's judging anybody. But there is a degree of hunger that you have that is incredibly rare. And I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that everybody desires the Lord like you do. Because they don't. Not everybody desires the Lord like you do. And it's a very special thing. The Bible says this, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Just you hungering is actually pulling you towards the Lord. The Bible says, I draw close to those who draw close to me. I want you to know that when you thought, do I want to go to church? Do I not want to go to church? Should I go? Should I not go? Should I go? And as soon as you decided to go, your relationship with God began to draw closer. Do you feel closer to God right now than you did four hours ago? Do you? 
You see, it just draws close. It draws close. That's what's happening here. Uh, let me see if I can unpack a few more verses. Um, where are we at here? Verse 6. Anyone who continues, John throws a curveball here. Anyone who continues to live in sin, I'm sorry, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. It's a very perplexing verse, isn't it? That anyone who lives with him, that has a relationship with him, you're not going to sin. Now, um, uh, let, me, let me tack on before I bite that off and chew on it a little bit. Let me put another verse with it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So if you take Paul's verse and you take uh, John's verse and you put it together, what they're saying is if you're pursuing God and you've got spiritual things on your mind, you're not going to sin. That's right. And so let's just turn the tables a little bit. What if uh, this was an interactive conversation, which it's not? And you were to raise your hand <laughs> and say, well, do you sin? And ask me that question? I would probably say, can we talk about this after the service? <laughs> but just for, to fulfill the, uh, the wholeness of the example, the answer is yes. Well, how and why do I sin? Why do I, why do I have to come before God and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Why does that happen? Because the Bible says clearly that if you let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, you won't sin. Well, it's not rocket science. If I'm admitting to you that I make mistakes and I sin and I need God's blood on my life, what does that mean? That means that Frankie has a problem of not staying in the presence of God 100% of the time. I hate to disappoint you, by the way. I'm trying. Is there anyone here trying with me? You're trying? Well, if we can get to, to 20% of the time, we'll sin less than we did if it was 10% of the time. The whole point is, is the more we pursue the presence of God, the more our love for him develops, the more we're able to see him clearer, the less we will sin. So what is the, 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 the idea here? The idea here is to expand our love. Now, how does, our, how does our, our love expand? It expands by our belief in him getting thicker. Now, everybody has a di different degree of faith. Let me use my father-in-law, for example. My father-in-law has stage four cancer. If you're in Canada and you're listening to this, do not tell Lyle that I talked about him. <laughs> all right i've got um some of my family tree listens because they love me and they know i love them but we're not ready for him to listen to my sermons yet um all right um i was just talking to them just for a second but lyle i had a conversation with him and i said lyle um you have stage four cancer if i'm you i'm telling you what i'm thinking i'm thinking man i I hope I'm right, because if I'm wrong, the consequences are going to be horrible, Lyle, because he doesn't believe in God. 
He doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. He doesn't believe in life after death. He just thinks we go right back to dirt. And he goes, let me tell you something, mate. He's Australian. Uh, He goes, I'm 100% sure. He goes, I am 100% sure I'm right. And I said, well, let me ask you to do one favor. I said, just every day, would you just consider saying, God, if you're real, um, would you help me believe in you? Just say that once a day. And he's like, (laughs) he starts laughing. And that means this conversation's over. Well, he tells my wife later, yeah, Frankie told me to say this prayer once a day. That's not going to happen. I'm like, okay. So his faith level is at a zero. Your faith level may be at a one or a two, at a three, at a four, at a five, at a six. And faith, as it grows, feeds love. The more you believe in God, the more you love him. The more you see of him, the more you understand of him, the more you love him. And so the key here is to throw logs on the fire of faith. Get your faith up. It builds your love. When your love builds, then you begin to experience a relationship that people only dream of. So Lyle has a zero degree of faith. When I read the Bible, I ask God, would you bring my faith up? Just just give me some more faith. Help me to love you more. So here we go. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. This is verse 7. This is very interesting. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Now, watch this. He's saying, don't let anyone tell you different. It's almost like he knew, and he did. He almost like he knew that somewhere along the line, people are going to come along and go, hey, 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 grace, God loves you. You don't, you don't have to, to, to strive for righteousness. You don't have to pursue God. It's okay. He's saying, don't be deceived about this. In verse 8, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Yes. Now, who has been sinning since the beginning? But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Verse number 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make it a practice. Everybody say practice. practice. Say it three times. One, two, three. Practice. 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 It's a big difference between a practice in a mistake. There's a big difference between weakness and wickedness. All right? So here we go. A practice of sinning because God's life is not in them. What he's saying here is, look, when you're pursuing God, when you're trying to, to, to expand your faith, when you're saying, God, I know you're phenomenal, I know you're great, I know you're awesome, but I need to be closer to you. I need to, I need to, to feel you a little bit more. I, 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 need, I, I, just, I, need to, I need you and I to be, I, I love you, just help me. 
And, and, you, and you're throwing every broken word you have out there. I love you. While you're doing that, you're automatically stopping the practices that are evil because you're cultivating, cultivating the practices that are holy. Amen. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I've used this illustration before, so if you've heard it, bear with me. Um, I went to 13 different schools growing up. And, and uh, they were all public except for two. They were private. And uh, I went to this private school in Houston. And I showed up and there was, I don't know. How many kids were in that school? How many? 160. His daughter went to the school. And I just found this out a few months ago. And I started thinking about every single thing I did at that school. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dear Lord. Um, so, um, so 360? 160. K through 12, 160. So I show up and I'm like, just come out of public school. And I can't walk down the hallway without doing something wrong. Okay, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing that wrong. I'm doing this wrong. So the principal calls me in and he goes, Frankie, one more time, you're going to have to go. I'm like, okay. Now, I had a crush on this girl, so I didn't want to get kicked out, all right? And um, I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. My dad told me he was going to kill me if I get kicked out, and I believed him. So I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. Two months goes by, I don't get in trouble one time. I'm walking by the principal's office one day. He goes, hey, Frankie. And I just, he goes, come on in here. And I just felt my stomach knot up. You ever sweat where like a circle gets on your back? I sit down and I said, yes, sir. He goes, I'm watching you. I'm like, I know you are. <laughs> and he goes, you're trying so hard not to do anything wrong. He goes, stop trying so hard. Just focus on doing good things. You'll naturally not do the things that you're trying not to do. I was in the seventh grade when he told me that. I never forgot that. When you're pursuing God, when you're reminding my, yourself, this is not the place. This is not the end of the journey. This is not the final destination. Other people may hit their jackpot. Other people may hit their peak here on earth. I'm not. This is not my final destination. I am going to pursue him. And every time I sin or any time I mess up, I'm just going to stand up, brush myself off, ask him to forgive me, make sure and ask God to help me make sure it's not going to be a practice. Continue to pursue him. Develop my faith. Cultivate my faith. You'll, you'll, you'll naturally push away the sins. And this is what he's saying. He goes, hey, don't don't let anyone teach you otherwise. Because if you're practicing it, then clearly, clearly, you don't have a relationship with God. Isn't that fascinating? See, it's an interesting thing when you read the Bible, isn't it? It's, it's just wild what, what happens and what we learn when you read the Bible. All right, so uh, let me share this last, uh, this last verse with you. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, I'd like for all of us to read it out loud, if you will. Okay, on three. One, two, three. For the time will come when people will not... All right, let's start again. All right, you guys ready? All right, here we go. On three. One, two, three. For the time will come when people will not put up... What does that mean? That means there's 51 churches in the woodlands. You come into celebration, you go, I don't like you saying that. I'll pick a different one. And you go down the road, and you open up the door, and you stand in there. I don't like what you're saying either. I'll find another one. And you go down the next one. Well, I don't like what you're saying either. And you search and you search and you search and you search. And then finally, you find a teacher that says what you want to hear. And then you go, this place is home. Which all that is fine. If he's preaching out of the word of God. It's a major problem. If you're going to hear somebody that will interpret it in a way that you want it to be. Billy Graham said this last Sunday when he was here. (laughs) We just had a video clip, but that just sounds good, doesn't it? Billy Graham was here last Sunday as a guest speaker. Um, But we played a video clip of Billy Graham, and I'll probably never forget it. He says... We want to create God in the image that we want him to be. We don't want to worship who he actually is. Um, So let me close that thought out. Give me the opportunity to build your faith and to push you towards God. Back up and say, I'm going to cultivate my faith and cultivate my love. But this is how I want to end today. This isn't parallel to my sermon, but it's not exactly related. I have noticed my relationship with God in the last, it started on December the 2nd of last year. Okay, so December, what is that, seven months ago? My relationship with God went to a whole new level in December the 2nd of last year went to a, a crazy level and I'll tell you what happened um, I began to pray about people in this world some of them I know and some of them I don't know but people in this world that do not know him and and I my prayers sound something like this. Jesus, you died for these people. You died for them. You shed your blood for them. And they're ignoring it as if it never happened. 
as if it never happened. They're ignoring it. But they're your children. Pull your children in. Pull them in. Send angels into their life and pull them into your house. Lord, let these hard-hearted people come into the church and raise their hands and surrender their life to you and pull them in. And when I begin to pray that way, I could feel my relationship with him get so much closer because now I'm not asking him to care about what I care about. I'm pushing my heart to care about what he cares about. Now, I'm thinking different. I'm seeing different. You know, my issues and my problems, they just feel smaller in comparison to people that don't know him. And then there's this other category. And some of you fit in this category and I feel the Holy Spirit right now and I just need to share it. You see, there's the lost category. And then there's the found but hurting category. And the prayer sounds like this. Lord, your children, some of them are in hurting marriages. They're married to somebody that hurts them. The marriage hurts. The family hurts. Their children hurt. They're hurt. They're physically hurting. Emotionally hurting. These are your children. Enough of the hurting. Enough of the hurting. Take the hurt away. I don't know who they are. I don't know what their names are. But just take away the hurting. I want to encourage you to pray that way. Let God take the words off of your lips and then move in the world. Let him take the words off of your lips and use those words as orders for angels. The Bible says, are not angels sent to help those who are to inherit the kingdom of God. Let him take words off of your lips and hand them to angels and send them on assignments throughout the world. You know, I was praying one day and I said, God, I don't want you to just use me on Sundays and Wednesdays when I'm preaching. What about the other five days out of the week? And I just felt the Lord say, give me some words to you. Give me some words to use. Give me some words to use. Give me some words to use. We'll, we'll do things together, things that you don't even know I'm doing. Give me some words to use. And I'll tell you what, ever since I started praying this way, I have come across more people to invite to church. Every Sunday I show up, I'm wondering if a friend is coming. Last Sunday, someone showed up. I'm like, yes, how you doing? Showed up with his daughter, and I was like, yes. 
But even when I don't have a friend show up, I've prayed for your friend. So I feel like I'm winning when you bring a friend because I prayed for them. I want to encourage you. When you pray for other people, you will find your capacity to love him get greater because you're caring about things that he cares about. So he's going to expose you to more. When you only care about things that you care about, a person wrapped up in themselves makes for a very small package. 